0: That's the final word cricket podcast this is it jeff lemon and adam collins i am coming to you from indoor from the Holkar stadium adam is coming to you from indoors in his living room in london you are about to jump on a flight adam and come back and meet us our warm embrace of the touring australian party who will be covering the third test match you've been home getting some much needed time with you tiny girls and rachel as well and uh, I hope that you're feeling refreshed and that you're ready to launch back into the fray.
1: Hi, Jeff. Yeah, I'm certainly feeling well slept, which was the key thing after a pretty rough week for me in Delhi. I was still, I mean, I'm, I'm still crook, but now it's just my chest doesn't like me and I've got fluid on the lungs and all of that. A sight better that than the fever that was... Um, well, that persisted until a few days ago so I'm, mm. I'm through the worst of it back on a plane today I had one important job you mentioned the girls this morning we went out to the registration office I think today was the last day we could register Peggy's birth before you end up getting a fine from the municipality and all the rest of it so she's officially <laughs> Peggy Antonio Collins no, not really Peggy Amelia yeah. Collins so that's all um, in now with the um, birth deaths and marriages or whatever they call it here in the UK so that was a nice thing to do before leaving and joining you in indoor for some indoor cricket I hope they still give out a free jug. (laughs) If you take a hat trick or a 50 partnership, that'll be the first of a million times I make that joke during the week. Minus
0: 20. You're on minus 20, mate.
1: (laughs) Australia might be. If they lose four wickets for for no runs like I did in Delhi, that would be minus 20. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting there. All the reports from the colleagues has been that Really nice place. I've got a full day in Delhi Airport tomorrow, which I'm not looking forward to before the connector mm. gets through. But, yeah, what's your first impression?
0: Well, it's definitely... Um, it's it's like the previous cities, I mean, given that I've been to Delhi and Mumbai in succession, it's like those turned down to about two on okay. the dial. So, still... Wilder and noisier and so on than you or I would be used to where we 're from, but in in India terms it 's much more chilled out. They really are ramming home the the cleanest city thing, you okay. know, lots of street sweepers lots of lots of uh, cleaning up of rubbish and so on. There were armies of workers and, and cleaners getting the stadium speak and span today um, i 'm at the ground now it 's quite a, a cute sort of stadium here it 's got Um, it's it's one of those ones where the seats go all the way up to the boundary line and and ram straight into the the metal mesh fence to stop you from (laughs) climbing over it onto the field so I don't think we'll have any pitch invasions as as we had in Delhi certainly if you do invade the pitch here you've got to really want it you've got to you've got to it's like getting into Switzerland in 1943 you know Um, you've got to really have your heart set on that destination and yeah look aside from that we're we're pretty close to the ground where we're staying um, so I was able to walk down to the ground this morning which was nice and just get out amongst the hustle and bustle a bit and it's at a
1: manageable level Cool, cool I mean there, there have been changes to the squad you've been watching Indian training today, you posted a video on our YouTube channel with Brett just before with uh, Shudmam Gill seemingly up against KL Rahul for the last spot mm. in the Indian side. is that, although I've seen other reports saying that that's a Twitter thing and that's not real so well, how are you reading this having watched training?
0: I think it was tongue-in-cheek the way we presented it, but it right. was notable that they, they batted in adjacent nets for a very long time, and then Shubman Gill went over to the other side, to the other set of nets, and Cale Rahul followed him and continued batting in the net <laughs> next to him as if just to, just to keep staring him down. I'm not sure. But, look, you would think that like we all assume there's it, it's likely that there'll be a change whether or not we're right about that I'm not sure but if there is that seems the option to take
1: and the pitch uh, I mean I've seen the usual photographs a couple of days out which you take with the standard grain of salt but it looks very dry in the usual places and not so dry in the other usual places and uh, we're, we're conditioned to that of course but is that your read as well that it's going to be yeah as dry as a bone
0: I'm looking at it right now, in fact, and it's very green in the middle. I'm guessing, you know, they don't mind doing that because if they play Shami and Siraj, then it gives them a little something to work with in the middle of the pitch. But at both ends, it's as though it's been scoured, uh, you know, (laughs) right down to the dirt. It's just bare brown dirt. A couple of the ground staff are out there poking it and prodding it and and thinking about whether they're happy with it now. So, look, it'll – I would expect it'll turn, I mean – just gut feeling is that it's not necessarily going to be shredding turn. It's, it looks very held together. It looks like Mm. one of those very cohesive kind of um, almost uh, mud that's, that's just caked into one, one block rather than, you know, there are no cracks or, Breakups or anything but as we all know nobody has a fucking clue about pitches we don't know what they're going to do none of us know what we're talking about we're all making things up as we go along Uh, but that's my first impression
1: yeah regardless of what they they um, present Ashwin and Janasia will bowl beautifully because they're the two best spinners in the world in these conditions and have been for a decade Mm -hmm. we can safely uh, land on that Um, the Australian side won't have Pat Cummins there. I mean that story has got progressively sadder through the week. Originally he was returning home to be with his family then it became um, apparent, well rather Pat put a statement out saying that his mother Maria is in palliative care and that he won't be returning for the third test match and and in all probability, you can't really see a world where he returns for the fourth either, can you? Given it's reached that stage, we've read about his mother's battle with breast cancer in an essay that he wrote for the Players' Voice back in in 2018, which I revisited this week to get a, a sense of it. But it's been something the Cummins family have lived with for a really long time, and um, I suppose uh, it makes it all the more admirable that Pat was able to play last week at Delhi, given the the, the bad news came between the Nagpur Test and the Delhi Test match.
0: Yeah, and you know, I've, yeah, people were all over him in, in that match for playing a bad shot in the second innings mm. while sort of erasing the fact that he batted really well in the first innings yep. and so on. I think even turning up uh, int- I suppose in some ways when you're dealing with something as horrific and uh, you've got this there's this delayed there's this grief that you know is coming and you can almost have some of it ahead of time but you can't really have all of it ahead of time like that's the the being stuck in two minds thing of you know anybody who has Nursed mm. a loved one through palliative care, will know what I'm talking about. That you, you, you're almost able to start grieving in advance, but it's still, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. You know, you, you, know, you know that there is, a, there is the inevitable point where things are going to hit a whole lot harder as well. So sometimes in those situations, having something to do is better, like rather than just sitting around waiting uh, for bad news, but at the same time there's a point where you want to be able to spend all of the time that you can with someone if you know that you've got a limited amount of time left so that's obviously the most important thing to do it's it's a hugely emotionally significant thing in anybody's life and so you know i i wish them What kind of peace They can find out Of that situation That's the best That you can hope for In a situation like this
1: Yeah Yeah that's right And we've had Pat on the final word before Had a lot to do with him Across the press conference table And so on Over the last Four or five Six years And whether you like The way he captains The Australian team Or otherwise I assure you He's one of the One of the truly good men In cricket So um, all the very best To the Cummins crew. So he, he won't be in indoor uh, where we'll be. The other side of the indoor part is that the Holkar Empire seems like a fascinating thing to me, that you know the mm. idea this was a very different state in that part of India. Through to the middle of the 20th century, it's not as though this is a kind of an ancient times type thing. This is like the last 200 years or so. So I wish we were going to Dharamshala for all the obvious reasons. McLeod Ganges is such a beautiful place, and Dharamshala is a very special place. And We've been lucky to visit there in the past. But it feels like if they were going to move venue, that we've done pretty well with Indoor.
0: Yeah, indeed. And as Bharat and I talked about on the video today, the birthplace of Holkar Hogan, of course, one of the great (laughs) Holkar leaders um, (laughs) from this part of the world who, who had a varied and interesting career. But I think you'll enjoy this spot in India once you arrive. Yeah.
1: yeah. So we've got a fair bit to get through on the show. Before doing that, I just wanted to acknowledge that we received like a lot of correspondence during the week following the conversation with Andrew Wu and Bharat Sunderace. And I kind of listened to that. I mean, I wasn't able to logistically record that with the, the two of you or the three of you, but you did a great job just letting the two of them speak and be heard. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we have the platform to do these types of things it's not our first rodeo when it comes to talking about racism in and around cricket but I think that might be the most powerful conversation yet on on our feed so well played to both will for fronting up and writing the difficult piece again as I said at the on the outro of the episode like I was there with will in 2017 and, and got to see how it affected him when we were in it in, in India, and it takes a fair bit to go back to that place. And credit to him for doing mm. so, and and um and doing it in such a dignified way. And likewise with brat who we both know enough was enough for him towards the end of the last year which is what necessitated him writing his own piece in that same age newspaper so yeah i'm glad it came up well i'm glad a lot of people were able to engage with the issue for the first time maybe not the first time that might be overplaying it but have thought about it from a different perspective for the first time when it comes to someone like wui who comes from a chinese background not from a subcontinental asian background in as is the case with barat
0: and who is someone that people probably haven't heard from. You know, they've read his writing. He's generally news reporting in a pretty straight-down-the-line sort of way. He's he's not able to put a lot of personality into the pieces that he's writing. That's not the style of work that he does. So that felt significant for me to be able to... Yeah. You know, I've, I've obviously had a couple of conversations with him informally about these sorts of things, but to, to hear him expand upon it and I think particularly the graciousness... That he showed towards these sort of towards these subjects towards the people perpetrating these kinds of things as well there's there's a willingness there from him to try to understand how and why these things happen and to look for a way to make things better rather than to respond in a way which he would be entitled to respond you know with with anger and wanting to push people away
1: yeah and and that he grew up In a time that was dreadful For a lot of Asian Australians You know His formative Teenage years were During as he Points out The the Hanson era Or the worst of the Hanson era And, And you can debate where Australia is now in relation to that. But there's no doubting uh, how feral Australia got when it came to Asian Australians in in the mid to late 90s. And he really lived that. So thanks to Uwe, thanks to Bratt. We've got a pretty packed agenda for what will be a relatively short show, I suspect, because I'm off to the airport, the Savo. But I couldn't help but throw this right at the top, Jeff. The Isle of Man, a story that broke this morning my time. Uh, They were all out for 10 in a T20 international against Spain. They came into the series 4-0 down and it was an absolute shit show. And it's got me thinking, but we'll deal with the game first. Um, You've gone through the scorecard and read the reports.
0: Yeah, so uh, almost a surprise for me that there were only six ducks in the innings. There was a naught, not out as well. But if you see a score of 10, you'd expect more than that. So three scores of two and one score of four got them up to 10. There were no extras. And also that no-one took, say, eight wickets or something. The mm. wickets were taken in a, uh, a football formation. There was a 4-4-2 <laughs> in terms of the spread of wicket-takers. So, And then not only did they get bowled out for 10, but the polling reply goes, starts with a no ball <laughs> and then two sixes. Yeah. So it was over in two legal deliveries, um, but three balls (laughs) bowled. An extraordinary piece of work. And look, when you see a scorecard like this, everyone always points and goes, ha, ha, ha. Um, I, I still think fair play to a team that is completely outmatched but still shows up and does their best and is willing to go on the field and give it a shot. So... Go you, Manx.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not sure what division this fits into. I, I must declare my um, ignorance here. But, you know, the Isle of Man do play around the world in these competitions through the year. So this is an outlier. And it does set the record. Of course, the Sydney Thunder had the lowest T20 uh, score ever mm-hmm. when they lowered it to, what was it, 15 in the Big Bash this year. Previously, yeah. in, it was In men's T20s.
0: Men's t There have been some lower scores in the women's right,
1: game. Right, right. But 10 is the, the new marker. So, uh, yeah, I must admit, my first thought was, am I eligible to play for the Isle of Man? Given we've been talking about trying to somehow get my Derek Underwoods onto an international team sheet um, inspired by Gabor Taroku, who, who turned out as an international, one of our patrons for the first time last year at age 40. And we told his story on the final word. Well, I'm 38 now, so not far away from that being, well, it's, uh, look, let's be honest, that, that has passed me by. But Isle of Man, I've got a British passport. Now, I've asked the most patronising question in the world to the World Cricket Show guys who um, work out of Guernsey. I've sent them a DM saying, you will know the answer to this. Does my British passport do enough heavy lifting to allow me to play for the isle of man i mean i know technically speaking i can live there with it but i'm sure there's some extra level of qualification but given we were only last week or the week before discussing the prospects of becoming a digital nomad and moving to portugal and playing that way who knows there might be an easier route and it could come through my existing passport so i'm going to play this out jeff i'm going to find out what the rules are
0: Well, if the Spanish team is as good as they appear to be um, by this standard, then the Portuguese team is probably pretty good as well. So the Isle of Man might be your route in. And if you think you could make more than, say, two runs or at least not start with a no ball when you're defending um, 11 then why not put your hand up?
1: I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to bowl those little Todd Murphy UFOs. I've got the overspinner I, I, and I've got the you know the, the pace through my action, but the next step when I start my pre-season, belatedly, we're going to play a game in Ahmedabad next week Australian media against the Indian media but it has been a few months since I've turned the shoulder over so it might take a little while to work back into it but I'm keen for a big 2023, and if that takes me to the Isle of Man, then so be it. Where it certainly will take me this year, to another part of the United Kingdom, is Scotland. Now, Jeff, we've had some news during the week on the Lords Tabs Marathon push, and that is that there's still spots open for us for the London Marathon, which seems remarkable given that it's only two months away, April 23. But... If you get in touch with us before the 7th of March, you can Mm -hmm. strap on a Lord's Tab singlet and run one of the most famous marathons in the world. There's a pretty high fundraising bar, which we're going to pull resources on. We've had a couple of conversations (laughs) during the week about how we might do that. I was talking to Matthew Jones about how many dollars we are now committed to raising due to the half marathon in Scotland and the marathon in London. But this is a good problem to have. If you've wanted to run a marathon before, why not run... I haven't. (laughs) Well, a lot of people... People relish the chance. And if you've been in training anyway, the London Marathon, I've gone out and watched it the last few years. Will McPherson ran it last year and did a great mm-hmm. job. It's a huge day. It's a, a festival in London and you can be part of that by simply getting in touch. And if that's not realistic and you simply want to do the half marathon with myself and about a dozen other final nerds, that's easy as well. Find a word, cricket, at gmail.com. Do let me know as soon as you can. The cutoff's, I think, mid-March for that, but we've still got plenty of time to get people in and As we explained last week when the Tavs released their impact report, it just reinforces why they do such important work and a chance to support that through the final word is to get your running shoes on.
0: I was just a bit distracted there because I was looking out the window and I was like, are they rolling one side of the pitch and not the other side? and doing the ultimate side at the other end. I don't want to get dragged into one of these things again, um, but just at the moment, I'll <laughs> keep you updated. But that's what it looks like is that they're doing, they're doing, they're rolling outside the right-handers off stump at both ends. Have our colleagues have, our colleagues, have our colleagues gone stump. home
1: from the press back?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Everyone's long gone. So this, um, is, the, this, is, this
1: I, is the time. This is two days out. Yeah. Press guys have gone. They probably don't anticipate any Australian media still to be there. You're, you're, You should keep an eye on this. Report truthfully, report accurately. That's all you need to do. (laughs)
0: That's all I'm I'm just keeping an eye on it. That's all I'm saying at the moment. Um, Now, with with the marathon, yeah, look, if you want to do 42Ks, if you have a death, which I I once, when I was 15, I I did 32Ks once, but I'm going to be honest, I didn't run a lot of I, I walked a lot of that. There was no way I was running the whole thing. But. 42 kilometres, it's a long way, but if you want to do it, or if you want to do the half, do the 21, get involved. Do you get one of those bits of paper pinned onto your shirt? Is that how they still do this? Yeah, we're
1: going to have – I think we've got to talk to the tabs about designing a special singlet for the final word, but broadly speaking, it will be clear that we're doing it in conjunction with them and they'll be dealing with all of that. And we've got Daniel with us um, joining us in India this week, so we'll put some prep work into our mission to go to nine professional games in one day on the first day of the Old Trafford men's test match in July, I think it is. So um, that's mm-hmm. all ahead of us. So big little run up, run for us with the with the Lord's tabs. Simply sign up to their um, their email distribution list uh, in the show notes. Uh, bit.ly forward slash tabs sign up. Could not be more straightforward. Click that link and you'll learn about everything you need to know and why these guys do such great work. The Women's T20 World Cup
0: Final, I mean, we don't really need to go through the game because Mm. Barrett and I did a daily show going through the details of that, but there's a lot more to take out of that. Uh, I mean, obviously everybody has to find a way to get a story out of the fact that Australia keep winning everything. I mean, three in a row after having already done three in a row at a different period of time. That... That fact that the point from which they... When they won their first T20 World Cup title in 2010, from that point to now, there's been one period of 16 months when Australia held neither of the World Cups. Every other point during that time, they've held at least one of the... Either the 50 or the 20 or both. And it's both at the moment, along with the Commonwealth Games and having won the last three in a row. I mean... It's an intense record, even though they didn't look as dominant in either the semi or the final. There were points where they were vulnerable against India and then against South Africa. It seems a bigger achievement for South Africa to have even made that final given the you know, the national hoodoo um, and the fact that they came into this tournament looking like Apache kind of side lost to Sri Lanka um, looked like they should have got bundled out and, and in the end managed to recover and, and knock off England in the semi-final that's a, a massive one for them given that they've lost to England in semi-finals a couple of times previously and and they were able to at least get over that hurdle.
1: Yeah as you know Jeff I've had a, a bit of a preoccupation with the South African women's cricket team over the years and seeing this talented group together and, and wanting so much for them and in a way, like it feels a bit odd that it's been this particular group who've made it to a final, that they have had more accomplished groups of players together, the fact that Danae Kirk wasn't there and we, we went into depth about that and I, I don't propose to relitigate why I thought she should have been there but the fact that she wasn't there is such a a dynamic leader the fact that Lizelle Lee wasn't either it says a fair bit about the fact that they are developing some sort of depth there look they weren't a strong World Cup finalist there's no point denying the reality of the situation they were a poorer version of themselves than they have been before but they still made it through and England on not side look they'll take a lot from this tournament England the fact that they've batted at a higher tempo. They've done it with a group of players who, for the most part, weren't there at the T20 World Cup in Australia going on, well, it's nearly what, over three years ago now, isn't it? That finish, that tournament finished three years mm. ago. So they've done a lot of um, work internally to prepare. The 100's been part of that story as well. And far more exposure to higher quality cricket around the 12 month cycle. So, for England, they'll be probably, well, of course, they'll be disappointed not to beat South Africa, but a semi final here at an elevated run rate and the natural end for Catherine Sivabrunt, who didn't handle herself well in the semi final. It's a shame in a way because she bowled so well against Pakistan and started really well in the semi, none for five from two, only to completely capitulate at the death and lose the plot in the middle of the ground at several of her teammates, which has always been part of the Brunt, Siver, um, Siver Brunt, sorry, uh, DNA. She's always had that in her, but it just looks bad when you're going around at the same time. Different story if you give your teammate a blast and take a wicket next ball. She was, she was mm. offering up plenty of four balls at the death, which gave South Africa the buffer they required. And England were, were just smothered by South Africa's classy seamers. I, I'm so pleased that it was Nadine de Klerk who bowled the pivotal over and Ayabonga Kaka the over after that, and of course Marizanne Kapp, who's been a champion for a long time. So, a huge building block for them the, the ticket sales for the final at Newlands. You know, we talk a lot about the off field stuff with women's cricket, Jeff, we always have, because we were there covering the women's game when they didn't even have cameras at both ends for the WBBL in the first season. It's, a, it's an obvious reference point that. In the span of time that we've been covering women's cricket, it's gone from being provincial and far from professional and scrapping yeah. for every marginal gain to a women's IPL that's starting next week. Contracts up around five hundred thousand US and beyond for Ash Gardner, who was a star and player of the tournament, Beth Mooney, who once again in a final stepped up for Australia. She's banking in excess of three hundred thousand for her work that's going to be coming up in India in about a week's time. So so yeah. much has happened, but South Africa Really needed this. I was worried, as I said before, the comp, I was worried about them falling away and not having the ability to be genuinely competitive with the big three. And there they were, the finalists. So fair play to them. And let's hope it's a step in the right direction in terms of getting their their off-field stuff right as well.
0: And, that, you know, they played their part, particularly with the ball and, and in the field. They were able to put the brakes on Australia uh, throughout. Um, it's, it was just that bit with Mooney managing to still be there after 17 overs and then start hitting the fence yeah. in the way that she can, you know, once, once she's got properly set. Um, but they were able to keep chipping away at the other end, taking regular wickets, um, didn't let Gardner explode, you know, did did a, a decent job with the ball they just don't have the cattle with the bat really and and I'm sure there'll be plenty of people who'll be saying, oh, see, look, uh, they didn't need to pick Donovan Necook because they made the final. Uh, it would have been pretty handy to have someone who knows how to hit sixes and who has played in the Big Bash for years and years and years and who has faced all of those bowlers a million times rather than having players who struggle to get past a runner ball when you need eight and over. For it
1: was day. so noticeable. It was so noticeable in the power play. And again, I don't want to recap your recap from yesterday, but 22, you know, I was watching as well independently of you and Baz. So, you know, 22 runs in the power play. What they could have done, for the the um the solid experience hand of Deneva Niekirk at that point. Or even Lizelle Lee opening the batting, you know, as she's played in the Big Bash from from the get-go. But, yeah, that's right. The absence of the counterfactual and all the rest of it. But she has played in big finals and won big finals and captained the Invincibles to titles and and all the rest of it and been there in in World Cups at at the pointy end. So they did miss out on that, and I I would see that as a missed opportunity. But, nevertheless, it's a... Sure. And
0: and notable that at the same time as this tournament was going on, Lizelle Lee was in the WNCL in the domestic 50-over comp in Australia. Bashing 48 off zero deliveries um, and <laughs> hitting some massive sixes over the leg side. So it was the kind of match where, you know, 30 off 15 at the top of the order would have. Uh, made all of the difference, and particularly if they'd had someone able to score at the other end to Wolvart while she was getting herself going, then they would have been in a position to win that game. Instead, they had someone dotting up at the other end as well as Wolvart doing it, and so there's really no way back if you've got both openers doing that.
1: It just chuffed for Beth Mooney, touched on it before, but Commonwealth Games final, T20 World Cup final at the G, the World Cup final in New Zealand this time last year and and now the the clean sweep four half centuries in four finals player of the match in a couple of those and three of those three of the four I think it was so
0: yeah um, she's born to play
1: in two of those yeah born to play grand finals we had Robert dipieto Domenico on the podcast late last year. He was known for saying that, that uh, Born to Play born to play Finals, and, and so it is for, um, for Beth Mooney, who, again, a player we've taken a, a huge interest in from the very start when she was a teenager playing in the Big Bash, and she was back in the queue a little bit, and she's turned into such a force. Love interviewing her as well because she calls it as she sees it. And Ash Gardner, another product of that production line, her timing was so good. You know, the BBL started when she was 16. It could not have been... A better time for her to emerge, and she's done so, and become well the most highly sought after player in the world from a women's IPL perspective. But player of the tournament, she was player of the final back in twenty eighteen. I think she'll be the next Australian captain whenever that time comes. I'm not, and I'm not trying to pension off Meg Lanning, by the way, or or the other leadership group members. Elisa Healy's been captaining that side recently. There's still Elise Perry who. If not for her fielding, you know, we're used to talking about Elise Perry for her match-winning exploits with the bat or the ball. But the way she threw herself around, there was that run-out that came later in that same over when Perry saved runs at the death against India. Again, um, covering territory that you dealt with with Bratt at the time on the semi-final daily. But Harman Preet getting caught short and that changing the tournament for Australia. and, And I guess that's muscle memory. That's being... Uber professional that they are, and they show no sign of being caught anytime soon. And whilst you can build the case, Jeff, I reckon that that's not always a great thing for women's cricket, that we have jokes multiple times that they're virtually unbeatable Mm. in in major competition setups the other side of it is they've set the standard and and other countries around the world know what's required of them to have any chance and England are an example of that they know that what they were doing was always going to fall short so they're trying to do something a little bit different and so it might be for India and South Africa
0: and what Australia has done is prove the test case of investment in women's cricket if you invest in it you have to invest in it fully and if you do that then you can develop such a, a broader and what deeper pool of players um of of talent being developed into consistent performance and and so that has set the blueprint for everybody else if they want to be able to come good i mean it's a huge year for women's cricket all up women's IPL starts on the 4th of march so i mean those players who are going to it won't have time to go home. Rather, they'll just pack up so, and head no. straight. Well, to already, India, I, I think saw. Of...
1: I saw Lottie was um, posting photos of the of the team hotel waiting for the players to arrive straight from the World Cup. She's. I'm not sure which team right. Lott's looking after, but she's the head coach of one of them. So yeah, they'll go straight into camp. And yeah, as you say, the first of twenty group games starts on the fourth of March, and they play, you know, pretty much every day through until the twenty first. A couple of finals, and and that'll. Well, it'll it'll be very interesting to see how much attention it gets due to the massive tv rights deal that was signed for the, the tickets they've been selling uh, for punters as well that this could be this could be massive.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it should be given the kind of crowds we saw for the India-Australia games, uh, the women's matches that were played recently, and the fact that they were able to fill stadiums for those. There's no shortage of promotion behind it here. I can tell you what. Any time, every time you walk into a hotel room in India, for some reason, the television turns on. There's some automated thing <laughs> when you, when you, if you pop your key card in that slot, the TV turns on, and. Half the time it's, it's on a sports channel and they're talking about the WPL. So, you know, there was a huge amount of coverage uh, around the auction results and all the rest of it. So, it is going to be major. Pitch update here. Yeah, they, they've <laughs> fared income. They've got the hand roller and they have rolled for about half an hour. They've rolled outside the right handers off stump right up until the middle stump line and then stopped. And they've done that at both ends. Um, <laughs> oh, fun and games. <laughs> fun and games. <laughs> I'm glad they've doubled down. The WNCL, let's get to that as well, our um, last bit in this omnibus of women's cricket that we've had here. I mean, what an extraordinary, hilarious, ridiculous game in the 50-over comp. And it wasn't just about the last over. Like, yes, you would have seen the posts come up and the headlines come up. South Australia lost five wickets in the last over, needing four runs to win. But there was more to this game, Adam. I mean, back-to-back victories for Tasmania who were the absolute underdogs of this comp for years and years and years. They've won two in a row, both over South Australia which is significant as well because South Australia struggled to get on the board in that competition for a long time as well. The thing about it is that the South Australians had already had two ridiculous comebacks in the game before they lost it in that last over. So Elise Villani, captaining Tassie, finally delivers in a final. She's got a dreadful record in finals across her entire career, domestically and internationally. She pulls off a big opening stand, nails a 100, makes 110. Lazelle Lee, I talked about, that fast 48 at the start. And Naomi Stalenberg, who's another player who's always under-delivered on her talent, she makes 75 and plays some big shots as well. So there are points where Tasmania are going to make a massive score and then South Australia rain them in. First they get rid of that opening partnership and then late in the piece they take seven wickets in the last five overs. Bowl them out off the last delivery of the game. So it's 264 to get. Then there's a rain adjustment it comes down to 243 needed off 47 overs. And for the South Australians they've got Courtney Webb makes 83 and she's going along okay. She gets out with 33 balls to go, though, and they've been batting a bit too slowly. So at that point, they need 58 off the last 33 balls and the set player's gone. So they need nine and over, and they're gone at that point. You're like, there's no way that South Australia can come back and win this game. I mean, Sarah Coit's taken an absolute stunner of a court and bowled catch, dived across, clung onto it, and they've basically lost the final. And then Annie O'Neill and Gemma Barsby, who are both pretty new to the crease, just lay into the bowling. They both make 28. So 28 off 19 and 28 off 16 balls, respectively, at the point where they're up and running. And they're, they're taking apart everybody. They're smashing Nicola Carey. They're smashing Molly Strano they put on a partnership of 54 in 28 balls and that's how they get to the point where they need four to win off the last over, that comeback after the previous comeback.
1: Gosh, you would have had no chance doing that in a 30-second summary, even just getting to to that juncture, Jeff, before the madness of the final over. And I love that a lot of these names for Tassie, and I know we'll we'll come back to this in a sec, but names that we've seen excel at other states and in other parts of Australia but have found their way to Tasmania like it feels like really shrewd recruitment from cricket Tasmania to Mm. put together a side that well not only can compete but have won the comp twice in a row due to the last over you're about to tell us about now
0: yeah, exactly. So four off the last over. South Australia have the momentum. Sarah Coit's bowling it, though. There's there's nobody more nerveless, I reckon, in, mm. or certainly in Australian domestic cricket, but what she did internationally as well. And so Annie O'Neill's facing. She decides to um, have a bit of a gallop and a swing, gets clean bowls. OK, well, they still need four or five balls. Amanda Wellington comes in. She can bat. Very sensible. Takes a single to backward point. Gets down the other end. Puts the set player on strike. All good. Three to win, four balls, and then Gemma Barsby walks down the pitch at Coit and misses the ball and gets stumped. So they need three from three balls at this point. Ella Wilson comes in, nails her first delivery, like smokes a straight drive. She's getting at least two for it down the ground, if not going for four, but it hits Sarah Coit, um, bounces back onto the stumps. (laughs) Wellington's run out at the non-striker's end and because it's a run out, obviously, it's a dot ball at that point. And then Wilson has another swing, this time goes across the line, misses, LBW, three to win, two to tie, last ball of the over and Anisu Mushangwe, who's bowled beautifully earlier in the day, drives it down to mid-off. Uh, and the real smart play from Elise Villani because she's she's there at mid-off. She grabs the ball and just runs in with it. Yeah. She doesn't want to risk throwing it in in case she messes up the throw. So she just runs back up to the stumps. I mentioned to Kate Peterson, who, who started at the non-striker's end, was smart enough to watch the bowler to make sure she didn't get run out of the non-strikers. Hairs down to the striker's end, but then turns back and sees Villani running in and just panicked and stopped. Like, you've got to keep going you've got to at got that keep point. Going. You've got, got to make him throw. Like, I,
1: saw, I saw that was the biggest, out of all of the wickets in that final over, Yeah, and I've, I've watched it back as well. That weirdly feels like the worst bit of batting. I know Barsby runs yeah. past one and all the rest, but like you've just got to make Villani throw in that situation. And that's yes, no kind of reflection exactly. on Villani. You've got to make whoever it is. Someone is, Yes. Um, experienced an operator Villani, probably executes that regardless right but you can't you can't give them a free pass you've got to no. make him throw the ball and I think that's to do yes. with the culture I think Dan Cherney pointed this out there's something about the culture in short form cricket we're yet to graduate beyond the idea of preserving wickets like we still uh-huh. we still bias preservation of wickets to two graded Extent And this is shown in a situation like this. You should be trying to run yeah. two off the last ball or as many as you can in every sure. short form game of cricket and, and maybe we'll get to that stage. But they've, they've paid a price here by making it all too easy on that final delivery.
0: Yeah, I think that was just panic. I reckon that was just muscle memory. You turn back, you see the fielder running in, you see that you're, you know, the, your other player, your other runner is slower than you and is only just turning. And so something automatically Told it to stop, but, but you've got to think about it before that last ball. And yeah, think, I am running two here, no matter what. Like the, the, there is, there's got to be no doubt in your mind that you're turning back and just herring back regardless. And if that had happened, Fellaini would have had to throw to the bowler. There's the chance of a mistake, probably. You know, the run out still executed, but at least you make it a uh, a, a 99% chance that the opposition win instead of 100% chance. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, just a, a spectacular finish and and Sarah Coyte, um, who's been so a fine player for so long gets another medal around her neck
1: yeah good on her I mean Sarah Coit's career was over Uh, she finished up five years ago Jeff she pulled the pin had enough um, at well documented um, challenges with her mental health returned unexpectedly as a last minute recruit deep into a WBBL season three or four years ago won that comp won another one Um, doing it twice with Tasmania in the WNCL, of course, a former Australian rep. And I'm not sure whether she's in the market to play for Australia again. I've never really thought to ask, but she's still good enough to to play at that next level up, Mm. which is clearly shown. So thrilled for her. I'm, I'm also imagining the scenes in the South Australian dressing room when, you know, with wickets falling with such regularity, uh, walking in at number 10 or number 11 You would never imagine with an over to go You'd be required You'd be sitting there in your, in your shorts and t-shirt And your kit mm. you know, At least a minute away from being put on It must have been just wild scenes As players were on the revolving door of that dressing room Wicket after wicket And yeah, one of those um, grand scale chokes That there'll be, well, I mean That'll devastate them. And you know, again, it, just doubling back on this point from before about what a great job they've done recruiting players like you know Molly Strano, Elise Villani They've all played for Australia. Mm. Nick Carey, who came down before, of course, but Naomi Stellenberg, who it um, was on that World Cup trip all the way back in 2016. Jeff, out of the first season of the WBBL, uh, Maisie it's Gibson, bit, and another like there are so many ball, Yeah, it, there, there are so many players. Like it's almost as though everybody who was identified as a bit of a star who was about 19 years old in 2016 who'd not quite made the next step, they've gone, we're getting you to Tassie.
0: Yeah, like we're not going to go out and try to get the biggest players. We're not going to go and try to recruit lanning and healy we're going to recruit players who we know can do a job at this level and it is interesting it raises that question i don't know exactly how i feel about it in terms of putting together a team that represents tasmania so you've got lazelle lee from south africa you've got villani and strano who've come in from from victoria several from new south wales where everybody poaches all their players from Kerry, stalenberg coit Maisie gibson mm. the spinner They've got Julia Cavanaugh who they picked up from Queensland Grade Cricket, who's still very young, but who they identified as a talent. Uh, Heather Graham wasn't there because she was with the World Cup squad, but does play for Tassie now. Um, she's from WA. So, and you would think would have played had she been available. So, in that 11, there are only three actually Tasmanian players in Amy Smith, uh, the spinner, Emma Mannix-Jeeves, the keeper, and Sasha Maloney, who was the skipper for a long time, isn't anymore with Villani being given that job. So, I don't know. It, it, it does make make me feel a little odd looking at it as a Tasmanian team with such little Tasmanian representation in terms of the development of players obviously a much smaller population and the challenges that they've had with all of that but Sally Ann Briggs is the long-time Tassie coach who's put this team together and um, well hopefully it, it means that in the next couple of years the Hurricanes might be more of a force in the Big Bash as well.
1: Yeah, I suppose it's one of those things where both things can be true, what you're describing there, you know, fewer opportunities for for local players, but much as it was when we were talking about the Australian national team before, if you've got a really high bar, it does mean that players have to rise to it and be equal to it uh, and eventually clear it. So hopefully that's the, the life cycle of this Tassie side and it becomes a, a destination of sorts. For, and that's the other part of it. Migrating to live in Hobart is a very different proposition to what it was 15, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. It is now a very desirable place for people to live and um, that, that's, that's changed. Uh, the migration patterns have gone the other way. So you can see where that is a, a part of the story with Tassie, not just in, in women's cricket, but in, in life more generally.
0: All right, that is our cricket for the time being. Uh, More in just a moment, but we have to do a little bit of a nerd pledge. Nerd pledge, the game that we play with uh, people who listen to this show and decide that they want to help fund it, and they do that by sending in contributions that are not normal amounts of currency, they're specific amounts in which the numbers relate to cricket in some way. Dara O'Donovan is our nerd pledger on this week's show, and his contribution. His number is $14.70. So 1470 is our nerd pledge number.
1: Always love seeing Dara's name come up in the list. So 1470, the clue reads, as much as I love your clueless ramblings, I can say that the old tactic of thinking about my other pledges, which broadly linked to my homeland with my current hometown, would be a good starting point. We had a very similar, very, very, very similar clue mm. to this um, on our Storytime app last week, which, if I do say so myself, was a bloody good episode. I listened back to some of it on the weekend. So if you haven't jumped into Storytime 124, I can recommend that. But now, Dara O'Donovan is all yours, Jeff1470.
0: It was a good episode and it had a good title too. Sometimes we're not quite sure about the titles, but that one I was like, "Ah, oh, this is what it's called. It is. It has to be the Olympic gold medal for kidnapping. Exactly. Which is, you know, <laughs> and if you hear that, you want to know what that means, right? It's impossible to read that title and not be curious. But the trick is you have to wait. To the end of the show because it's the last number. Uh, so, Dara is uh, also known as Big Dog mm. uh, from the Quakers cricket team. That's a, an ironic designation because he's a very quiet, pleasant, well mannered gentleman. And so, Australians being amusing decided to bestow him with that moniker. The Quockers are a, a, a social phenomenon of a cricket team in Melbourne. They're heading down to Pombonite in March to go and play the Pombonite Bulls oh. after hearing our, uh, our little documentary that we made about the Pombonite Cricket Club in rural Victoria. So they've really? arranged a friendly. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I'm, so I'm, I'm how...
1: absolutely chuffed to hear that. That is such good news. <laughs> the different <laughs> tentacles of the final word coming together.
0: Exactly. Um, so, so, yes, the Reverend uh, will be leading his flock down there with Big Dog as well, I imagine. In March, and uh, Dara, as you might guess from the name Dara O'Donovan, is Irish and, like many Irish uh, movers and shakers before him, has made Melbourne home. Another person who did that, aside from Jim Owen, um, who (laughs) might might be the most notable, who knows? What a (laughs) reference. Other than Jim Owen. (laughs) other <laughs> than Jim Owen, who I have to say is... I wonder whether words, he still, still does tremendous. that gag
1: where he, um, where he pretends that he's walking down the stairs and, like, behind a bar oh, type thing. As a yeah, nine-year-old, him. I'm like, do the stairs thing! <laughs> do the stairs thing, Jim Owen! Him, him and
0: Bob Franklin, yeah. There are so many classic bits, you know, the, the coat hangers thing, you know. I've, my cupboard is full of them, but I have never paid anybody any money. Somebody out there is making coat hangers out of the goodness of his heart, <laughs> <laughs> um, nonetheless, another person who made that <laughs> trek was Kim Garth. Now, and and so when I read this clue, I, I was sure. I thought this has to be about Kim Garth. I looked all over the place. I could, yeah, Gets, a medal, play, gets a medal. Didn't play, get a medal. That's true. That's true. The Tom Curran clause You know, get, can can wear it in the shower. Whatever. You know, can wear it to the shops. Can be like, can can wrap it around your head like a headband with the medal hanging between your eyes. Whatever you want, you've, you've won, you've got the medal, that's how it works. Elise Perry, Commonwealth Games gold medalist, wasn't required to play, etc. Steve Waugh, Commonwealth Games silver medalist, did play, didn't play well enough to win. Nonetheless, I couldn't find the link to the number, but I was like, I know this is about Kim Garth. And the more I looked into Kim Garth, the more I found these interesting links to the story. So Kim Garth's mother... Is Anne Marie MacDonald, who played one day international cricket for Ireland, including the 1988 World Cup, made the third place playoff against New Zealand, right arm Seema, who played a dozen times. Her father was born in South Africa, moved to Ireland, and also played for Ireland, three first class fixtures against Scotland between 1986 and 1989. But didn't have a great record. Um, his uh, his batting scores in the top six were 1, 6, 1, 11, 6 and 9. He got to bowl in one innings and took none for off 19 overs and otherwise was not called upon to bowl. So, look, it didn't go tremendously well against Scotland. But he played four ODIs as well. So four wickets at 31, 33 runs at 11. So you've got both parents have played for Ireland. They have three children. Jonathan Jr. plays age groups, plays under-17s, under-19s and plays for Ireland A but doesn't quite get over the parapet to play for the senior national team. Robert Garth plays a decent level domestically, Irish Senior Cup and and the Leinster League. Kim is the one who goes furthest. She has ability. The women's team have vacancies. They need players. And so they pick her at a couple of months after turning 14, they pick her to come and play for the country. It's 2010. She's not the youngest player ever to play T20 cricket, even at that point, because Pakistan in 2000 had picked a 12-year-old, a (laughs) 12-year-old named Sajida Shah. Ah, such Pakistan energy. energy. Totally, strong Pakistan energy. And the Scots had picked a 13-year-old named Fiona Urquhart in 2001. But Kim Garth starts off well, and so the Irish are like, well, picking a 14-year-old work, let's keep doing it. They pick another 14-year-old who's slightly younger called Julie Van Flyer. Then they pick... 13-year-olds in Eleanor Tice, Lucy O'Reilly and Louise Little over the next few years. None of these players go on to have long-lasting kind of careers, although Louise Little is still going. Um, She played at the World Cup actually for Ireland and is no longer 13 um, and is is, is making something of that career. So, nonetheless, Kim Garth plays from 2010 through to 2019 for Ireland and... By this stage, she's already playing in the Big Bash as well. She starts out for the Sydney Sixers. She goes across to the Perth Scorchers after playing what would end up being her last Ireland game. But in the 2020 season, or midway through 2020, for the upcoming season, she gets an offer to play for Victoria, not for a Big Bash team, but to have a domestic Australian list A contract. And she decides that that is a way that she can actually make a living because getting, you know, playing for Ireland doesn't pay you very much money. And so she decides to move to Australia. She gets a Melbourne Stars gig alongside that and it means that she can make a living playing the game. So she relocates, can't play for Ireland anymore given the seasons and the travel and all of the rest of it. And uh, after spending a long enough period in Australia with residential qualification, she qualifies to play for Australia. So, so far, three T20s and two ODIs. She was in the squad for the World Cup, as you said, didn't play in the eleven was in the squad for the warm-ups where they list 15 players and anyone can have a go. So she did bowl against India, got Jemima Rodrigues out for a duck. DNB in the loss to Ireland, which must have been mixed feelings. Like that's, that's, that's probably got to be the Irish women's team's greatest achievement, even mm. though it was a warm-up game. But beating a full-strength Australian sure, team yeah. with their full resources to call upon and Kim Garth is sitting there on the subs bench for Australia watching Ireland have that moment. It would have been conflicting feelings i imagine so there's still that question about whether she can find a spot in the australian team when they've got so many seam bowling all-rounders and that's her gig but she's still in the mix i'm still a competitor but it brought me back to what is the number how does I, like i know this has got to be kim garth what is 1470 and so i went back to Dara and i said i'm sure this is your answer but i don't get what the number means and he said think about her international debut and he also said this the this is not obscure in the usual nerd pledge way but it's a different application of the number 1470 so her first t20 international match was against pakistan she made 20 so that doesn't help me she took two wickets that doesn't help me but the rest of the bowling figures she bowled four overs zero maidens conceded 17 runs 4017 mix them up 1470 mm-hmm. and i was like oh that's tenuous it's it's sort of close but it's tenuous But it's not actually her first match for Ireland because she did play a one-off ODI some months before that against New Zealand, who win by a heavy margin. Kim Garth doesn't bowl at all as a 14-year-old, not called upon. But she does bat. She bats at seven. She makes seven runs. She takes the score from 89 for five to 103 for six. So that is a partnership of 14, (laughs) seven runs, zero wickets, one
1: It'll do. It'll do. It's a creative way of getting there, but I'd expect nothing less from Dara. Thank you. Uh, and um, well done, Jeff. And always good to have Kim Garth featured on the show. We've never probably gone into that much depth about her before, but yeah, the fact that she is now a World Cup winner, only yesterday, feels right. And and it's again, you know, you've touched on it there, but Ireland didn't have a bad tournament. They were competitive compared to, I remember when they had four retirements when I was there in the Caribbean in 2018, and the rumours had started about Kim Garth leaving around them, like as in that she might go. Um, she did two years on, but that felt like a, a moment in time where where Ireland was stuffed, and, and now they don't feel quite so stuffed anymore. And it comes back to investment mm. because what did they do after 2018? They contracts got all about their first round of contracts. So it all comes back to money, as it often does with um, with mm. uh, developing nations or emerging nations like the Irish women are. So. Thank you, Dara O'Donovan. That is
0: Nerd Pledge. If you want to play the game, it's a lot of fun and uh, it helps us keep making the show. You just go to patreon.com slash thefinalword. You'll find us there. You can set your number. We'll put it on the list and away we go.
1: You can hang out with Final Word people. There was a meetup on Saturday, which I tried to get to, but... Uh, Winnie predictably had a fever Um, a fever that denied me not only going to see the final nerds Mm. uh, catch up in London on Saturday but I took her to a I think I mentioned on the show the other week there's an adults kids indie disco once a month in London which I took Winnie to in January and I thought we'll do it again We'll we'll go once more and I've had Rach and, and Peggy and a couple of friends and their daughter with us and Winnie predictably got ill the moment she walked in and sooked the whole time she was there, so that's a shame. But we'll try again next month or the month after and she will um, follow in my in my footsteps as, um, as someone who loves um, running around dance floors and doing silly things, I'm sure.
0: She has a fever and the only prescription is more cowbell. Let's <laughs> more take cow a little pole. break
1: on the final word and,
0: uh, and we will be back in just a sec.
1: Hi, my name's Kate Cross, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam and Jeff. Final Word, Adam Collins, Jeff, Lemon. We have a bit to work through in the second part of the show. We're going to dance through the Sheffield Shield. We're going to head over to Wellington and check in on a test match that's building beautifully. But before we do all that, uh, we're going to do something that we haven't done in a little while. Winnie loves saying that. We haven't done that in a little while. We haven't done this in a little while.
0: That's
1: Sachin, Sachin. It's your birthday. Happy birthday, Sachin. Take it away, Jeff.
0: It is Happy Birthday, Sachin. People have been asking for this segment for a long time. We haven't done it for a long time. I don't know why. I just kind of forgot, to be honest. But this, this version of Happy Birthday, Sachin, Adam, comes for a special reason, right? Now, I haven't told you about this, actually. I just told you I had a story. Yes. Um, so let me, let me relate it to you um, as I do, t- at the same time as I do to everybody else. When you travel around with Bharat Sindharaesan, you realise that he knows an awful lot of people. He knows almost as many people as you know. Um, you, you are the two people who know more people than <laughs> I uh, have ever met in my life. Your capacity to make connections with people and remember them and remember things about them is extraordinary. So a lot of travelling around has involved by saying, oh, let's, let's go, let's catch up for dinner with my friend over here, my friend over there, my friend over there. So when we got to Mumbai, we went to have a drink and have a meal with a friend of Parats named Siami Kerr. And she is a Bollywood actress who is very prominent in this part of the world and has made a bunch of movies and she's also a massive cricket nerd like re- loves the real technical stuff like watches games obsessively super into it and so they met because they did a thing on Crick Buzz called Match Party where they, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'd have a they'd hang out during a, an IPL game online and and talk about things and she would be the one who would be wanting to like get into the real technical analysis and whatnot and she's just finished i think shooting a film in which she plays a cricketer finally she she was able to combine her, her two loves. It's a, it's a heartwarming Bollywood tale about a cricketer who loses an arm and then has to learn to bowl left arm rather than right arm orthodox um, and, and how to prosper in you know, playing for India. I think, I think there's a big game against England or something like that in the way this plot pans out. Nonetheless, the thing is, we're sitting there having a meal and we're having a chat and we're in Mumbai and so Sachin comes up in conversation and I mentioned the segment that we like to do in which Sachin tweets happy birthday at innumerable people and we work out who those people are and she says to me oh yes he um yeah he sent one of those to me once (laughs) and I was like what this is I was like this is potentially the first time we're having a conversation with an actual happy birthday Sachin recipient you know and and I've looked it up and it is real it did it did happen in 2020 they know each other to some extent through Mumbai high society or whatever it is and so I was like okay okay but so so what like what's the go how does it work because the whole point of happy birthday Sachin has always been how does it happen like who gets on the list who's who's who's, how do you get included how do you get bumped off who makes it for one year who's up for repeat happy birthdays and all the rest of it and it's Probably not as glamorous as... Like, we always liked the idea that Sachin sat there with a spreadsheet mm. you know, and, and did it himself. I get the Kevin, feeling I, A that Kevin Rudd-esque pro- spreadsheet. Yes. And so the, the information I was able to glean is that things have changed recently because there's been a change in uh, PR and social media management. And so there are fewer birthdays than before and that there was some feedback at some point that too many random people were getting birthdays <laughs> and it needed to be, it needed to I be brought whether, back I in. I wonder
1: mate. whether our podcast segment fed into the PR agency. Like, they're taking the piss, Sachin. You're turning 50 this year, mate. Everyone knows who you are. You don't need to do this.
0: Well, but, but with, with the departure of whoever was running this before, um, it, it's very much narrowed back to cricketers that Sachin played with and current cricketers who have some sort of, you know, have enough profile to warrant one. So I went back and checked, and sure enough, this checks out with the information that I've got. Very few birthdays recently. Vinod Kambli got one in January. Chris Srikant, Mohammad Kaif, Suresh Rana brett lee is the obligatory gora he's like the only white person who actually gets a, a happy birthday session generally as far as white cricketers go and that takes you all the way but all the way back to november virat Kohli got one in november vvs Lakshman, irfan patan who always gets it he's a repeat birthdayer and back to october it's Sewag. Gambia, Hardik Pandya, Rishabh Pant. So they've really narrowed down the admittance list now. And it is a different world on Happy Birthday, Ah. Sachin. And aside from that, there are a lot more tweets about what's happening on the field in games. There's a lot more talking about current matches, maybe engagement's better for those posts, and and the very Sachin things like promoting National Tourism Day, etc. But I just thought that I should let you know that I finally met someone who received a happy birthday, Sachin, and that it was worth going
1: back to this segment for that reason. Well, well uh, look, I'm glad we've got, reached this point because if you didn't have dinner with Siami, then it's improbable you would have gone back and checked in this much depth and we would have learned exactly. that really this might be the final happy birthday, Sachin, at least the, the last one for a while <laughs> because we're not going to have the the influx. We'll, we'll do another one when he turns 50, which I'm not sure when his birthday oh, is. Oh, yeah. There is a, f- yeah. F- there's a film being made. Uh, Mr Lally
0: I, I am sure It's April twenty-four. April twenty-four. Um, well, what must we, be? We, we know that or, or 25th It's around then anyway Because it's also Damien Fleming's birthday And right. it's the, the the Desert Storm day
1: All right, And Anzac Day Going to go Charge Gallipoli On the western front yeah. With Albert yeah. Jacker We're going, oh, at, Albert With Albert Jacker the, With the Viet Cong We're going to charge them all yeah. Right OJL That milestone Sachin's 50th birthday Is being met With a feature film About him That uh, our old mate Mr Lele has been working on as a producer I think yep. so there's a whole thing it's going to be a massive deal him turning 50 it's going to be like when the Queen had her Silver Jubilee in 1977 you know what I mean but expect this level of mm-hmm. and that might be the next time you bring back Happy Birthday Sachin thank you Jeff, for digging that out I ran into Mr Lele today
0: Sundana and Lele he's always he's got this mischievous smile and this twinkle in his eye all the time he's always up to something yep. and so when Bharat and I were looking through Hindu mythology I found the ultimate the ideal description for Mr Lele. It's it's there's a description of, of Krishna as a baby which is Mahanschor which means the butter thief, because as a baby, the, the god Krishna used to manage to sneak up into the rafters and steal the pots of butter and eat them all <laughs> like, like Winnie the Pooh with, with honey, you know, and Krishna was always up to something. He was always a, a cheeky little operator. You never quite knew what Krishna was up to, so we, we've decided that's how we'll address Mr Lele from now on.
1: Very good. He's the ultimate freelancer. There's ever been a better freelancer than Mr Lele. I remember at Ranchi in 2017 when there they, they were shots of MS Dhoni on the big screen, and of course, who was sitting next to him in the crowd? Mr. Lele, he's everywhere. Close friend of Satchins as well. Machinchoir.
0: Machinchoir. Uh,
1: Jeff, I'm, I'm a little bit pressed for time at the back of the show, so we're going to get straight to the Sheffield Shield and the Mercantile Mutual Cup, um, as it happens. So, um, <laughs> which I didn't know was still being played for, but as it is. So, in the Shield, there were two games we didn't get a chance to look at last week. One was where WA thrashed Tassie by 383 runs at Hobart. WA are cruising towards a home final. In fact, I don't think it's possible for them to miss the home final now Um, they took 300 runs off Siddle and Bird in the first innings, a century for Josh Inglis who's, I wouldn't say is the forgotten man but he won't be far away you know, know, there'll always be pressure on Alex Carey, I think playing in the enterprising way that he does. So, uh, English century. Tassie got rolled twice for under 200. WA Seamers and All-Rounders have just been too good all the way through the season. But they batter big in the second dig as well. The Whackers, 373 for three, declared with Bancroft. 176 not out, which makes for him 767 at 64 this season, leading the country for runs. Four centuries and just one... Unconverted fifty, so like he, he's getting to fifty and he's routinely going on with it. So he mm. won't be a popular successor to David Warner. I don't expect because of the because um, of what happened with him back in in 2018. But if Warner does have the the plug pulled on him before the Ashes, I, I suspect it will be Bancroft and deservedly so. And he's just turned 30 as well. I think that's the other point here that most Test batters, you know, if they make their debut young in their early mid 20s, as Bancroft did, they. Invariably, get another chance with a three in front of their age and go far better a second time, and and that'd be a great thing because he absolutely deserves another opportunity. Um, putting to one side all the bullshit of 2018, if his numbers warrant another chance, he should get that other chance, and that the rest should be irrelevant.
0: I would like to see him get another opportunity because I think he was screwed over in. 2019. I mean, I don't think he should have been picked in the first place, but once he was picked, he was then punted too quickly and left to sit in the wilderness. Um, but it is a tough gig opening in England, and he found that, you know, that was his attempted comeback in 2019. If if that is also his attempted comeback yeah. in 2023, then he's he might be on a hiding to nothing. Um I'd, I'd be very surprised if they, they don't at least start that series with Warner, but they may not end it with Warner.
1: Yeah, I, I've, I've just got a feeling the WTC final, if Australia make it, might be the, the better exit point for Warner. But we'll have a chance to speculate about that after the India series, I'm sure. Uh, for WA in the second dig, it was Matt Kelly, as ever. Joel Paris, midnight in. Uh, Joel Paris with three for him, making, I think, six for the match. They are ahead by 11 points with the Vic second on 31. Tassie and South Australia both on 24. So I'd say they're the chasing pack. They're the three that could make it to the Shield final. It was fifth versus sixth at the Gabba with Queensland having their second win of the season, beating New South Wales, who are winless, would you believe? The strength and the might of New South Wales, they've been, they've been dreadful in the Shield. They got rid of their coach mid season as well. Um, New, New South Wales started well, making 320, and Queensland replied with 304. So it was a good, balanced game at the halfway mark. Jimmy Pearson, I think he's third century of the he's year. He's the
0: forgotten man. He, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's always been the forgotten man. He's never been yeah. remembered in the first place. But I mean, Jimmy oh, Pearson's put up numbers. No, but year after year yeah. after year. I he's been doing it for so long yep. and never been in the conversation I don't know why yep.
1: um, Sean Abbott took for in the first dig for New South Wales a reminder he's going to be in the right place at the right time playing for Surrey all the way through May, June and July so if there were any issues with Australia's deep fast bowling group um, I'd say Abbott will be the man who's getting sustained opportunities with the Dukes ball and and all the rest of it Um, New South Wales second time got bowled out by Steckity and Nisa early on all out for 216 Queensland set 235 and got their five down a clutch 87 not out for Jack Clayton batting at number four with support through the middle order so Queensland get that second win they're another level behind the rest they're still in fifth spot so it looks like it'll be yeah Victoria Tassie or South Australia joining West Australia in the final in the other competition they jumped from four day cricket to 50 over cricket on Sunday um, for a round of Merck games to finish the regular season South Australia beat Victoria West Australia beat Tassie so they play in the final the the Sackers and the Whackers. Uh, Queensland beat New South Wales by three runs in in the other game, but they're not in contention for the final. So that's on the 8th of March. And Mm. to be honest, Jeff, a bit of a shame that I know nothing else about that tournament whatsoever. I mean, you go back even 15 years, we'd be having long conversations about the 50 over domestic comp, but it's just, I don't know, scheduling, big bash, even Mm. the way it was relegated during COVID and, now it's a thing that happens, it's important, but um, but it's not on our radar whatsoever.
0: I mean, I, I honestly think that YouTube clips of old Mercantile Mutual highlights, you know, like Adam Dale's takes the catch, Andy Flower hits the sign, probably do more numbers than current 50 over domestic games in Australia.
1: And the other game you wanted to talk about um, before jumping, in a way, bad timing, the, the, the test match in New Zealand, it's stumps day four, so by the time you're listening to this, it'll be irrelevant, but... It's so well set up. So Stump's evening four. England have been set 258 to win. After following on, New Zealand got to 483. So very similar to those test matches we saw in England last year where New Zealand were able to hang in there and set England something competitive. The question is, can they get there? So they're 48 for one overnight. They've already lost Crawley for 24. He was bowled in the second dig, caught behind cheaply in the first. England were under the pump. I was watching the first session of the test there at the Basin Reserve on on evening one or morning one, but evening one, my time. And they, you know, they lost three wickets in the first five overs, bringing Brook and Root together at 21 for three. And it was like it was foretold with Brook. He's just extraordinary. Another test century, he was 184 in at better than a runner ball, by the close of play, on a green top. And we know green tops can be deceptive in, in New Zealand, but this was giving plenty to the quicks early on. Root makes 100 down the other end. He's 29th in test cricket, his first in a while. But that absurd Crickvist stat that Brooke not only attacks more balls than anyone in the history of the database, but he does so with more control so far in his test career than Pajara or Steve Smith. So you look at the graph, it's crazy. Like, it's, 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 wow. he is the outlier of outliers so far. A small sample size, given he's in test number five or six or something like that. But, but yeah, he's got a test average of 90 and a chance to add to that on the final day at Wellington um, because New Zealand did really well following on, thanks to the usual suspects, really. Williamson got 132, um, 54 from 54, Daryl Mitchell and 90 for Tom Blundell. So they kept them in there after being bowled out cheaply the first time around. And Joe Root... Um
0: Ton number twenty nine, so he gets the magic Bradman number and, yep. and can be yet another modern player to push into the thirties in terms of Test hundreds. Uh, been a little while for him; he's he's pulling out the cheeky shots once in a while when he decides to, but he doesn't necessarily need to. You know, he's he's he can still be himself.
1: He he can be a bass baller. What I like about Root is that he can decide when it works for him. So morning two, they lose Brook early on, and Root played three of those reverse. Lapse over second slip Type thing He didn't to that point Like he'd been You know I think his century Was at a strike rate Of 50 odd Which isn't very You know Rainbow rhythms And then his next 50 Was in like 30 balls Or something like that So he can You know pick and choose When he goes that way Whereas the rest of the side are very much committed to the plan I suppose Root has greater latitude given his extraordinary overall record and speaking of overall records being extraordinary Anderson going bang 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 taking three wickets in five overs to start including Conway with an absolute beauty he got Will Young with a with a Jaffa as well to start so Anderson three in the first innings Broad four in the first innings they didn't do quite so well in the second when New Zealand were following on and it's worth noting that they were they weren't asking them to follow on for like arrogant reasons it was they'd lost time in the game they were worried about mm-hmm. rain they are like we need to try and take our 20 wickets first and worry about the chase later and, and, and that's the way it's played out.
0: Yeah, well you've got more control over the speed of the game when you're batting than when you're bowling, I suppose. Um, and so that made sense and you often see that with the follow-on. I mean, you know, the thing we've talked about a million times, that that sort of bullshit that oh, it's all Kolkata. It's just that you know teams know that often when you're bowling a second time, you struggle to be as incisive because you're a bit more tired and so on. A word for Tim Southey as well, yeah. that 73 that he made in the first innings. I mean, A, it, it was crucial to, you know, buying New Zealand some time in the middle so that they weren't just completely blown away in that first innings. they weren't, you know, following on a million runs behind. Yep. They were sort of following on enough in touch that they could actually set a lead in the end. And um, the fact that he hit six sixes in that innings, it's been so long since Southie hit a lot of sixes. He's always had that reputation because he hit nine in his first test innings. And then he, he carries on. He's got sort of 70 from about his first 50 tests. But he was, he's really slowed down in the last few years. He's he's very rarely... He's, I think he's hit one in his last 23 tests before this point. Oh, right. Six in the innings there. So he basically had stopped being a six-hitter. Suddenly, he's he's maybe he's watched England do it and decided to get back into it. Half a dozen in the innings. So he now has 82 career sixes. He's gone past Kevin Peterson. He's gone past MS Doney. And he's gone past Ms Bail Hark in terms of career sixes. Oh. There, are, there are 11 players in the history of the game who have more sixes than Tim Southey at this point. Only 11 players. And uh, something that England would particularly enjoy at the very top of that list, Ben Stokes, Brendan McCullough, <laughs> now one and two.
1: That's definitely Southy's true north And good to know um, Confirmation there That Tim Southie's a better batter Than MS Dhoni So thanks for just um, yeah, Marking that yeah. At the end of the show But yeah so- the, uh,
0: the numbers don't lie <laughs> Yeah
1: it Just doesn't feel like Southy, Henry Wagner Mitchell Bracewell are, are quite the same Imposing group That they might have been Like they, they really do lack For Trent Bolt Don't they And and that's yeah. no reflection on any of them. It's just that yeah, their best days of monstering sides in home conditions are, are past and by. So they've done really well to hang in there. I kind of brushed over the runner ball 54 from Mitchell and the, the 90 from squillion Balls from Tom Blundell alongside Williamson. But they didn't give up. They didn't throw in the towel. And that's been why they've been such a tough team to beat until about a year ago. So at least that game on on the final day. That'll be worth watching, especially if England get close and they're losing wickets. They're, well, I mean, they've said it themselves, that they are never going to accept a draw under Ben Stokes and Brendan column so um, they're more likely well by definition they're more likely to tie this test and draw it we should be so lucky if it is a tie Jeff uh, I can I can tell you one thing you'll be doing a a little um, uh, fifth day review on the on the the page because um, if and when that does happen that will warrant a Final Word daily. Um, Jeff, I'm going to see you very soon because I've got a plane to catch to Delhi and then on to indoor, so that'll be the end of our show this week. Thank you to everybody for listening and supporting what we do, um, patreon.com forward slash the final word. Um, if it wasn't for the extraordinary support we get from around the world and we wouldn't be able to do as much as we do and we're we're always grateful for it to our friends at the Lord's Tabs um, you can see in the show notes how you can sign up and support what they're doing and and maybe even have a gallop with us in Edinburgh or indeed the London Marathon spots available until the 7th of March we'll be back with the daily programs Uh, I think you'll do one tomorrow with Barat day before I guess probably uh, then I'll be back from day yeah, one. we'll see. we'll see how we're
0: feeling see what the vibe is you know <laughs> what's the vibe <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, how are we vibing and we'll have them all, all coming through the pipeline thanks to Visit Victoria so a lot more about Visit Victoria as we work through the third test at Indoor and the fourth and final match at Um-de-Bud and on and on it goes can't stop won't stop this is the final word Adam Collins Jeff Lemon bye for now see you later
0: yeah. I had to go about it